0: Standing in the holiness of God let's just go before him in prayer Lord, what a joy and delight to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb to be cleansed, to be made new to be brought into the body of Christ to have our hearts filled with spirit and in truth and to worship you with gladness to serve you with joy and we're asking God now as we turn to your holy word would you take distraction from us I pray right now that you just take me out of the way. As we open up our your word, would you open up our hearts? Would your spirit be our teacher? Would you transform us into the likeness of Jesus? We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Really good to see all of you here this morning. And if you are new here to Fellowship, my name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is just a delight to have you with us. One of the things we do at Fellowship is we take a book of the Bible and we walk through it passage by passage. We really want to know what God has revealed in his word. And we are going through the book of Ephesians. We're in a fact in Ephesians chapter two this morning. Have you ever considered that actually one of the great wonders of the world is a wall of separation, and I'm referring to this, the Great Wall of China. It's massive, it's over 4,000 miles long, it's a series of fortifications. Uh, Some of the original part of the wall gets started in 7th century B.C., and the Chinese put this wall up uh, to protect imperial China and their states from all these marauding bands that were coming from the Eurasia steppe, And so they put this huge wall up there. And it really shouldn't surprise us because you know what? Humans are really good at putting up walls. So here would be an example, but uh, we also put up walls like when it comes to race, socioeconomic status. We just erect these walls. In fact, it's commonplace and we are really good at doing it. The thing is though, God is all about reconciliation. He's a God of love and unity. But people are good at putting up walls. Even Christians. Now, when you look at church history, you're going to find some examples of just some amazing men and women who God used in rather significant ways who would not bow down to the culture of this world. So, for instance, like World War II, you got the Nazis, Germany, and one of the things that they're going to accomplish as they take over the world is they're going to exterminate all of the Jewish people, right? And frankly, many Christians just kind of sat on their hands and did nothing. But of course, you guys, guys like uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Karl Barth, these theologians who said, no way. Uh, In fact, in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's case, standing up to Nazi resistance, they imprisoned him, the Nazis did, and they eventually executed him in one of their prisons, There are stellar examples of men and women who know Jesus who said, we're going to follow God and the fullness of the gospel. But the problem is, there are not enough of these kind of stories. Um, Now, when I talk about walls, not all walls are wrong for Christians. For instance, we need to have walls, clear marks where we're not going to bend like on core doctrine, like the deity of jesus christ his virgin birth the triune nature of god that that salvation is by faith alone in grace alone through christ alone and we also uh need to have clarity not only on core doctrine where we're just not going to bend but we also have to have clarity on core ethical issues like the definition of marriage who is the one who created marriage who created humanity Anybody know? God, that's right. And he, he has actually designed human relationships. He's designed human sexuality. And he has made all people in his image. And we, as followers of God, those who know him, why, you know what? We value every single human at every stage of development. From the moment of conception all the way throughout their entire life. We believe that all people are made in the image of God, and we're not going to compromise on that. We're going to put a wall up and say, no way, absolutely not. But um, we look at our world and we're like, man, it is filled with disunity and even hostility. How does God bring about unity in the midst of so much disunity and Uh, diversity of people. How does God do it? What does God have to say and how is he at work in one of the greatest problems that has ever faced our world on this whole issue of reconciling the races? Are we just supposed to be at each other's throats and tolerating each other at best and hating each other at worst? Or does God have a plan to bring unity among all the people I want you to know that's why Ephesians chapter 2 is such a precious text. Every single person should know what is written here because this is God's answer. And we've been walking through it. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, we saw that our great spiritual state was one of complete separation from God. But God, working through Christ, brought about reconciliation. In fact, some of the great verses that we, we memorize because they are so rich and meaningful to us. Like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ. You didn't earn it. It's not your religious behavior. It's Christ." And God, who has saved us by grace, is shaping us by grace. Very next verse, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has prepared before the foundation of the world not only our salvation, but that those who know Christ are actually going to manifest his likeness through very good works that he's doing through their lives. It is Christ being manifested in us, just like we sang in our worship song. So let me ask you, what is the very first good work that God highlights that is to come flowing through his people? Does anybody remember from last week? Because this is all review. Anybody remember? Reconciliation, right? And that's exactly what we see. And so we saw it last week. And so just by way of review, separation was our former condition. Verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles and the flesh were called uncircumcision, which is a term of derision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by the flesh by human hands. So we were once in social alienation, but we were also as Gentiles, that means non-Jewish people, we were in a condition of spiritual alienation. Let me tell you what it's like to be separated from God. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I want you to know that was me, with. God. And when you're without God, friends, you are without hope. And so here is the condition of all of humanity. So what does God do in order to manifest the greatness of his character? His plan has been, even in eternity past, to manifest the character of of himself through bringing about reconciliation through his son, the eternal son of God, And that's exactly what he's done. Reconciliation comes from our Savior's intervention. And so we looked at it last week, but I just want to read these verses because this is so rich. This is our life. This is hope for humanity. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Once there was this huge division, that's gone. Why? Because Christ broke it down. And how did he do that? By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. You see, Christ fulfilled all the law. He is our righteousness, and that wall of separation is gone. Let me tell you who took it down. Jesus Christ. And like it says in verse 16, and he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. You see, he's established the one new man. Your primary identity isn't Gentile or Jew. It is Christ and being in his church. He is the one who has actually brought us into his body, which is called the church, and he's done so at the cross. And he says, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far away, And peace to those who were near. This was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And for for through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You see that? We have access to the Father through the work of Christ, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, in Christ, we have unity, not uniformity. We're not all the same. We have differences, but unity is all of us working together, coming together, and moving forward in a common pursuit. And let me just tell you who made the nations of the world. God did. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God is the one who did it. And you see in verse 18, verse 18. That's a verse you might want to underline because you see the triunity of God on display. Through him, speaking of Christ, we both have access in one spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, to the Father. God is the one who is bringing about this unity. Let me tell you who brings about division. It's the enemy of our souls. It's Satan himself. You see, God ushers in peace through the gospel. But division, pride, racism... All of this is a flame that is fueled by Satan. And I want you to know, it's like he's having a field day. Through centuries, we still are facing the implications and the ramifications of this great disunity. But you know, God has supplied everything we need in Christ. To show everyone that access to God is made available to all. Remember the curtain at the temple? The moment Christ dies, when he yells out, it is finished, that curtain tears from top to bottom. You see, access to God has always been now made available through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so great divisions, like between Jew and Gentile, friends... That no longer is the issue. The issue is, will you trust Christ, God's solution? And no matter what sort of ethnic or racial or economic status strata that we have developed in society, I want you to know that it is Jesus Christ who can bring about reconciliation. He is bringing about the one new man. Remember that from last week, verse 15? A new man. We who are in Christ, we have a heart to actually love people, He gives us eyes to see people as God sees them. Remember the encouragement last week? Let's ask God to help us to have eyes to see people as he sees them. That we have ears to listen to people, their stories, their pain, their background, their hopes, their dreams, their struggles, hands to help, feet that will walk with each other. And of course, that we have mouths to speak encouragement, to thank and to ask good questions. And so God brings about reconciliation to address our separation. That leads to this. This is the whole reason why God has brought reconciliation in Christ, and that is unification, that we have one united position. We're united in Christ. Let me just tell you, our churches are to be a showcase of the power of the gospel in the world. People should be able to look at our churches and see the power of God on display by how Christians love one another because they are loved by God. And so what Paul does, having explained the greatness of the reconciliation in Christ, he gives three metaphors to describe the church. Three things that would be commonly known to people and explains the significance of what it means to be in Jesus Christ. And what he's showing us is that the reality of Christ is seen by the unity of his people. And the first image he brings is that we are united in God's kingdom. Take a look at this. Verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So the first thing you need to know is that You and I, when we placed our faith in Christ, when God drew us to himself, why, we're united in his kingdom. We are citizens. Before, we were strangers and aliens. But now, our primary identity is Jesus Christ. And God's plan is that his kingdom is going to permeate all of the nations. It's going to encompass every tribe, tongue, and nation. People from every background are going to be united in Christ. That is the reality of the gospel. That doesn't mean that we become part of the commonwealth of Israel like it refers to in verse 12 where we actually become Israel. Actually, we, uh, we still come from a Gentile background or a Jewish background. In fact, Paul always refers to Jews and Gentiles. It's just that that's no longer their primary identity. You know what our primary identity is? It's Christ. Our primary identity is that we are Christians. That means... That is our main point of reference. And racial distinctions that exist, what we can do is when we're in Christ, all of a sudden now we can really appreciate one another. We can love one another. We can see how God is manifesting his character, his likeness through people from all sorts of different backgrounds. I tell you, it's a whole different way of looking at the world because it's a whole different way of looking at the people of the world. God's story on display through his people. And all of a sudden, you find like you have the ability to love, appreciate, and it brings great glory to God when we do just that. And so we find here that God is the one who is actually manifesting his love through his people. But if you do not see yourself as though into the one new man, if you're here like, no, no, no. I see myself as black or white, or I'm I'm Hispanic, or I'm just a Chinese American. If I'm focusing on the Chinese, I want you to know you're always going to face racial conflict and tension. You're always going to have problems, a very severe debate. Do you know why? You're starting from the wrong place. If you're in Christ, your new reference in terms of your identity is now Him, right? You still, we still value, appreciate all the glory that comes from all the different ethnicities, but our primary identity is Christ. Friends, it's kind of like this, you know, being in God's kingdom, you and I, true believers in Christ, guess what? We are. We're ambassadors. Did you know that? That you, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So am I. What's an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is someone who is a citizen of one country. Why they move to another country, a foreign country, and they represent their country that they came from to everyone else, right? That's what an ambassador does. Well, I want you to know that you and I, we are heavenly citizens. We are people who've been united with Christ forever. And we represent Jesus Christ the kingdom of heaven, heavenly values, what it means to know Christ, love Christ, to the people of this world. We once were in the domain of darkness, right? That was my life. I once walked in the domain of darkness. Very self-centered. It's all about me. Could care less about God, right? But then God, through a process of breaking me, and it was painful and severe, brought me to a place of brokenness before him where not only I saw my sin, which was very apparent, but the Savior and the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And he who drew me into relationship with himself has now drawn me into relationship with all of his people, all over the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We are ambassadors of Christ. Does anybody pray this way, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? You ever prayed that? Do you, do you want God's kingdom to come? Really? Do you want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? I mean, I I know you have like a little nighttime prayer, but like seriously, you want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, Jesus said, listen, this is how you pray. I'm not going to make it too long so you don't forget, but this is what I want. I want my will done on this earth like it's done in heaven immediately, instantly, and to his glory. You know how he does it? He does it through his people. The allegiance of of his ambassadors who treasure and cherish him and his word. You see, when we are in Christ, we're in the church. Guess what? We are united in God's kingdom. Let me show you something else from verse 19. We're united in God's family. Did you see that in verse 19? And we are of God's household. So now it gets pretty intimate, right? It conveys a deeper level of intimacy and belonging. We are now in God's family. That means that we've got a support network. We have intimacy with the Lord. We have the ability to encourage one another, strengthen one another, serve one another. And the church is to be a visible demonstration of the love of God being manifested in his people. And haven't you noticed that like when you meet a fellow believer, like you have these instant bonds. I mean, it is just, it's awesome. I've noticed this the entire time that I've been a Christian, that I meet someone that really knows Jesus and they love him. I love him. Guess what? Even though we just met, we are like instant friends. I had this experience uh, several weeks ago flying back here. Um, and I, I sat next to a young gal. She was like 20 years old. She's flying to Houston. She's getting married. And this young gal was on fire for Jesus. Like she knew the Bible. I'm like, wow, who, where did you come from? Who are your parents, you know? And, and like she was smart and intelligent, could talk about a wide variety of issues. But like, man, we had this really meaningful conversation, far more meaningful than I might even have with a family member that doesn't know Jesus, all because we're related by the blood of Christ. That's what it means to be in his family. But you know, families, sometimes they have problems, right? Right? Like in our family, guess what? We have problems sometimes. We, and I'll tell you, it's oftentimes me, right? I am seeing more and more how I'm part of the problem. But, you know, like if you're a parent and you see there's a problem going on in your family, what do you do if you're a good parent? Do you like, it'll work out. I'll just, just endure this. Or do you like, no, I care about my family. I'm going to step in. We're, we're going to talk about this. We're going to address it. I want you to know that God addresses the dysfunction that exists in his family. He's patient. He's patient but I assure you he's going to step in. And one issue that he is going to step in on is the issue of racial reconciliation. Friends, get ready for this. This is a gospel issue. Like, what? This has something to do with the gospel? Yeah, it does. You know what the book is right before Ephesians? It's Galatians. I encourage you to read it, especially chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, you've got the Apostle Peter, right? We're talking key guy in the kingdom, right? And you've got Barnabas, the son of encouragement. These are Jewish guys who have come to Christ. And they actually understand the gospel. In fact, Peter and Barnabas were actually interfacing with Gentiles who are also coming to Christ, you know? And they realized, like, wow, we're in the one new man. But you know what happened? All of a sudden... uh, Peter and Barnabas, it says they got, got carried away and they started isolating from the Gentile believers in Christ. You know, it's kind of like junior high lunchroom. You know how you all get in your little clicks, you know, like, well, you can't sit with me or whatever. You know, okay. And they started behaving that way. And so when Paul shows up and he joins the party and he's like, hey, what's going on here? And he's take a look and, and he sees Peter and Barnabas and he's like, and they're just all hanging out with the Jewish believers and the Gentiles like, hey, I thought we were part of this. And like, what did Paul do? And he's like, uh, oh, you know, go will get it all figured out. Uh-uh. God put it on his heart to you deal with this. And he did. And if you want to see what it looks like for an apostle to get dressed down, you can read about it in Galatians chapter 2. And the issue was, it was says in verse 14, that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Did you get that? They weren't straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And God says, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. I'm going to confront it. And so he does. You see, we're a part of God's family. He intends for us to love one another. He's given us the spirit, so that's actually a possibility. But he wants it not just a possibility, he wants it a reality. I want you to know that the the cross is not some sort of 2,000-year relic. I want you to know that the cross of Jesus Christ is is a contemporary reality. It addresses sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Not to like be an example of suffering, but to be one who not only fulfilled the law, but died and paid the penalty of sin, though he was completely righteous, so that forgiveness of sins and reconciliation and redemption could be accomplished through his death. But you know, we all recognize we've got some pretty big racial tensions in our country, right? And the common advice is, give, is this. Hey, everybody, let's, let's just all just kind of get along, right? Can't we do that? Just, just, just all get along. Just knock some of that stuff off. Let's just all be nice to one another and get along. And everything's going to be fine. And you know what the problem with that is? The problem is that doesn't address The problem. What is the problem that's causing all of these tensions among the different ethnic backgrounds? You know what the problem is? I'm pretty sure you're familiar with it. It's a three-letter word. It begins with S. has an I in it, and it is sin, right? And God addresses sin. Sin resides in the human heart. You can't just superficially, well, I'll just be nice to one another. That isn't going to work, and it hasn't. So what does God say? Listen, you really want answers to the racial problems that you're experiencing, not just here in the States, but I'm talking worldwide. There is but one. It's going to take divine intervention. It's going to take me sending my son, and I will do it. And I have. And so he has. You know, being in Christ is being a part of his family. It's kind of like being on a football team. Any of you ever played football? serious we've we've got to have a few guys okay we got there thank you I mean last last service I had our state championship quarterback right here in front it was great okay so if you ever you ever played football this is what it looks like you know so like when I play football you have people from all sorts of different backgrounds right and you got folks that are really rich and you have you know dirt poor here we are you know I'm bringing my sack lunch it's got baloney you know there we are you got folks uh from all different ethnic backgrounds right white, black, Asian, Hispanic, but, but you know what? We all come together and we're on one team. In fact, we all wear the exact same uniform. Now we have different positions, different skills, different roles on the team, but let me assure you, we are all after the same goal. We are here to win. We're not going to put ourselves through all this pain just for exercise of it, right? We are here to win. We got the same goal, we are, we're all going to run in the same place. No matter what opposition we face, we're in this together. We all wear the same uniform. So it is in the family of God. We are in Christ. We have the same goal, and that is to glorify God. We have the same mission, to make disciples of all the nations. I tell you what, there is every sort of opposition that you might imagine that is thrown against that whole process of people coming to know Jesus and growing mature in him. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the opposition. We're on the team, and we're following the lead of our coach. We're doing as God has said. So friends, to be in Christ, to be in the church, it means to be united in his kingdom, and it means to be united in God's family. But notice this. He closes with this. We're united in God's temple. Let me just read verses 20 through 22, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Notice this. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So to be in Christ is to be united in his kingdom and his family. But notice verses 20 through 22 It is to be united in God's temple. Now, you're familiar with the temple, right? Israel, Old Testament, they got a temple, stone, very impressive. Lots of people come to it. Jews make this pilgrimage three times a year. What was the temple? It was a physical representation of God's divine manifestation. It was at the temple that all the sacrifices that were made to God, these sacrifices for their sin, these sacrifices to express praise and thanksgiving to God, free will offerings that were being made to God, all to show that God was treasured and valued among the people. But at the same time, it was to show that God's presence dwelt with his people. The temple was extremely important. But what Paul is saying is the temple of God is no longer uh, some sort of stone feature that you're going to show up at. The temple of God is now the hearts of his people. This is radical. And this this illustration that he uses, this metaphor, is full of deep theological truths. He talks about the indescribable privilege of being in Christ— where the Spirit of God is moving through his people. If you're a Christian, you're a part of God's temple, living, growing, active, and in fact, he keeps building it. And notice what he said there. Verse 20, you'll want to underline this, because the whole book of Ephesians rests on this. He says, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the... Cornerstone. The most important part of any major building at its foundation is the cornerstone. It allows the building to be square and stable. In fact, much of the weight rests on the cornerstone. It has to be absolutely perfect, laid completely straight. Everything has to be just right. Do you know why? The entire building is built based upon the placement and the integrity. Of that cornerstone. Now, if you get the idea, like, well, you know, some cornerstone, but like, yay. Let me give you a little bit of understanding of how significant these stones could be. So, for instance, um, in the temple in Jerusalem, so they they do excavations. It's pretty complicated because you know the Muslims have the Dome of the Rock, right? And and that's that makes it complicated, and they really don't like uh, archaeologists digging around the Temple Mount. But there have been excavations, and they have found five massive foundation stones. And when I talk about massive here, not a few tons. The largest stone that they have found is 55 feet long, 11 feet high. Here's a picture of it. And 14 feet wide. It is estimated to weigh 570 tons. Archaeologists are not sure how it was even possible to move such a stone. And so I'm just going to throw that out there for you engineers. If you can figure this out and solve a big problem for antiquity, I'm going to buy you lunch. Just send me a email. In fact, after first service, I had a guy give me a really good explanation. I'm going to go research it there, but I'd like to know. You can think about it. But I talk about this. Is, when we're talking about cornerstone, we're talking about something massive. Everything is built upon it. You see, Christ is the stone that determines every other stone and its placement. So how this works This is what God intends is Christ is the cornerstone and the prophets and the apostles, their writings, the Old and the New Testament, why everything is aligned and focused on Jesus Christ. And he wants all of his people to be building upon this foundation, specifically this cornerstone. You see, the cornerstone was absolutely essential for the integrity of the building. And you and I, we're, we're not up to just, well, I'll just do my Christian life however I want. It must be based on the word and focused on Jesus Christ. Now we're living in a society, this is what's happening in Christendom. I, I got to think from God's perspective, this is a disaster. This is like, you just believe whatever you want to believe. Pick and choose. You don't like some of the verses in the Bible. Some of the prophets wrote you the wrong way. You really don't like what this apostle wrote on this. You come up with some new clever interpretation. Or in fact, just dismiss it all. Just cut it out. Just do the Thomas Jefferson thing. I don't like it. I'm removing it. I want you to know that is not biblical Christianity. The one true faith God always has as remnant are those who are building upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and they are focused on Christ, the cornerstone. Tony Evans, the very famous pastor just up north here in Dallas, the founder of Urban Alternative, um, this, he's a great author. He wrote a, he's written this book. It's called Oneness Embrace. There was just a reprint that came out uh, this year where he's added quite a bit of amazing material. I want to read you an excerpt from it. Tony Evans writes this. If we are ever going to fix the racism problem in the church for the benefit of our nation. The Bible has to overrule our emotions, thoughts, words, actions, and histories. Our problem is that we have far too many people running to sociology books before searching the scripture. We have far too many people quoting portions of content from critical race theorists or white fragility, intellectuals and race, or shame before going to the Bible. And while there are legitimate truths present an present present in all of these things. And it is good to read and research various thoughts on the subjects as well as statistical analysis. They must be viewed through the grid of the gospel. They must be seen through the spectacles of scripture, and they must ultimately be made to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And every Christian who names the name of Jesus Christ must be actively and purposefully involved in racial reconciliation. According to the scripture, not division, not blame, not divisive speech, not dismissiveness. Why? Because unity is what glorifies God and allows his presence to be visibly seen in and through his people. Friends, Christ is the cornerstone. The word given by the apostles and prophets is the foundation. So like, if you want to know like, well, what does a kingdom citizen really live like? Just keep reading the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. He talks about what actually the true faith looks like. If you want to know that God has given pastors and teachers to what? Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. If you want to know what a church really looks like, you read Ephesians chapter 4 because this is the body of Christ. How we behave, how we treat people, the words that we say, what we do with our anger problems that we've got, how we forgive, all of this is explained. And then he keeps going. He talks about what true worship looks like. And then he talks about marriage. He talks about the fact that there are complementary roles in marriage. I know that that's under assault and attack right now. But he says, hey, listen, it's like this. Christ and the church, they're different, right? But they work together in a beautiful, loving image. And then he goes on to say, hey, listen, if you're a kid, do you know that you have a critical role in how you treat your parents? Let me tell you what that looks like. And if you're a parent, he gives you one sentence. That's all you need. You just do this. And you're going to fulfill your role. And then he talks about if you're an employee or an employer, uh, he talks about how to live. And then he talks about the spiritual warfare that we face and how we face it. But God determines how we live. He sets the course. We don't freewheel it and just make it up as we go. He's already given to us in the foundation of apostles and prophets and Christ the cornerstone. And when we do not build upon this foundation, you know what happens? The glory of God is not on display. And hence, you end up with a lot of disunity, fracture, and frankly, to the watching world, it is an amalgamation of a mess and a lot of confusion. And notice what he says, verse 21. In whom the whole building is being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You see, God is bringing all these people. We're like living stones. Get the imagery? Our heart beats for him And he's bringing us into his temple. And notice what kind of temple it is. It is a holy temple. The word holy means to be set apart to God. That means that we don't just do whatever we want. Like it just doesn't matter. Uh Uh-uh. We're very interested in what God says holiness is. So you rethink what you call entertainment, what you do with your body, the things you put in, the words that come out. Because we're a holy temple. We're living. God is at work. In fact, he says, verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God is the one who is doing this. He's the one building. In fact, even at this very moment, he's bringing people into his temple. So let me just ask you, do you really believe this? Do you? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity? And as you're thinking about that, I'd also like to ask, have you received it? Have you really entered in to God's kingdom? Do you really trust in his son? And the third question i like to ask then is, are you living it? Are you living like it? Are you living in the one new man? And you're like, man, wow, Grant, I, these are things that I've never even considered. In fact, frankly, this is so convicting. In fact, I can see where I've, Exercise prejudice, and I'm, I'm a big separatist, and I don't treat people all the same. Is there hope for me? Yeah, there is. It's the gospel, it's Jesus Christ. He gives you forgiveness, He gives you a spirit, but let me tell you, He intends to transform you into the image of His Son. And you're like, well, how, what do I do? What are the steps that I might take? Remember this phrase breaking down barriers comes by building bridges. Breaking down barriers comes by building bridges. It starts with you just walking across the aisle, a handshake, looking people in the eyes, showing people respect, listening to them. You want to be intentional. If you're like, man, I don't even understand some of these different backgrounds. Like, for instance, just like, I don't understand what it's like to be an African-American. Well, I'm encouraging you to join me in reading this book by Tony Evans, Uh, Oneness Embraced get the latest edition, I'll tell you what, it's an eye-opener, but it is so helpful to see what God is doing in all of his people. And i tell you what, he's a very smart guy and he really gives a lot of insight on what the body of Christ really could be. Another thing you could do is just find someone that just invite over, that they're just different from you, different background, different history, whatever, just invite them over or go out to lunch. Just spend a little time with them. You don't have to talk about race or anything like that. Just show the love of Christ. And friends, you see, what God is attempting to do is to have his church demonstrate to the world that he has the last word through his word being lived out in his people. You know, when John had his vision of heaven, you know, it wasn't just like, well, there's just one race and they're just all kind of gathered around Jesus and worshiping. It it wasn't like that at all. Do you know what it's like? He writes about it in Revelation 7, verse 9. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands. You know what they were crying out? Salvation be to our God. In fact, the book of Revelation, you know how it ends, don't you? It ends with eternity. And do you know what eternity is going to look like? Revelation chapter 21, verse 24, the nations will walk by, it's like there'll still be different races, different nations. In fact, every ethnicity is going to be represented in the kingdom of heaven because God is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. You know, at Fellowship Bible Church, I tell people this. We want to be a microcosm of heaven. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, united in Christ manifesting his glory, growing as mature disciples of Christ. And so I want to just leave you with this final image. Have you ever been to like an orchestra performance? You know, like when you go and you get there early and you find your seat and all the musicians are on the stage, right? And there's like all sorts of instruments out there. You know, some that you recognize, you know, the trumpet and the trombone and the timpani drums, right? And you have all the string instruments and the bass and stuff. And there's some instruments, you're like, I'm not even sure what that is, but they're all having a good time. But they're all playing at the same time. And it's like a huge cacophony of mess of noise, right? It's just chaotic. Like, blah, blah. you know, and some guys doing something like this. and are like, must be some musical thing. Okay, I don't know what they're warming up, right? And then, of course, what happens? The concert master walks out on the stage. And that's the first chair violin. So he or she walks on. I don't know why I think this, but it's like, I think, like, they were late, but they finally showed up because everybody starts clapping, like, we're so glad you were able to make it, right? And they come, they're bowing, like, I lost my keys, but here I am, you know, whatever. And they're there, and then, you know what they do? Like, they're, like, taking it all in, please stop. When they, the clapping starts to fade around, then they kind of turn around, like, so if you keep clapping, they're like, I love this, I love this, man. And then they turn around, and here or she just plays that one note, that one tuning note, right? All, everything's all quiet, and then all of a sudden... All the instruments start playing, but they've played the exact same note. You see, they're all getting tuned up. And then when that first that ma- concert master sits down, guess what happens then? Then the conductor walks out, right? And he gets his applause and stuff like that. And, and uh, then he or she turns around, and they come to that podium. They got their little baton, right? Every eye is on the conductor. Total silence. And then he... Goes like this and then all of a sudden whoosh, and music and it is beautiful and it's powerful it's in rhythm and time and there are all these different instruments all playing together this masterpiece i want you to know that's what god is doing you know who the conductor is it's jesus christ the masterpiece is the one new man And it is the manifestation of the glory of God through the establishment and advancement of His kingdom and the life transformation that comes through His Son. You see, friends, the gospel of grace is how God brings reconciliation to the human race. Friends, this is the story of God in us. Let's pray.